Welcome to Transform Now, the podcast brought to you by robotic process automation pioneer, Blue Prism. Digital transformation has the potential to reshape the way companies service their customers, engage their employees, and manage their operations. Whether you're looking to develop strategies, tactics, and best practices to positively impact the future of work, or you're curious to learn how other companies have successfully navigated their digital transformation programs, then this podcast is for you. We're here to help you transform now. Hello and welcome to this week's Transform Now. This is Dana Seaton, Vice President of Customer Experience for Blue Prism and co-founder of Women in RPA. And I'm pleased to welcome with me this week, Amal Williams from the Real Group. Hi, Amal. Zena, wonderful to see you. Glad to be here. Really excited about our discussion today. Awesome. Why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about Reveal? Sure, sure. So, um, Zena, I think I've known you now three years. Possibly feels like that. I've been in the RPA world for uh, four, going on to five years now. I've been a Blue Prism partner the entire time. Stood on stage with some of your founders and senior executives every single year since, which is really great. So uh, we've had a wonderful relationship together and we've hired each other's employees, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, we're like cousins and I always enjoy talking to you folks, literally about every, anything, honestly. So Reveal Group, really great company. I was recruited here to become one of the partners in North America to help expand their footprint here. We're one of Blue Prism's best partners in Asia Pacific. Historically, we were Blue Prism in Australia. So we've had a, a deep history together. Rooted in best practices, ROM implementations, cloud. We've deployed all of your SKUs across the globe. And I'm really proud to be here, uh, I think, for two reasons. I came here um, because of the fact that this is one of a handful of companies that not only provide services, but also custom software that enables transformation at enterprises on a global scale. And for me, as we've been on infancy trying to figure out how are we going to actually leverage the reusable objects and the uh, utilities from Prism, Productizing that has always been a challenge. When I was at Sykes, Sykes was trying to figure it out. When I was at Wonderbots, we were getting close to figuring it out. Build Group just built a platform. And that platform was built by RPA professionals for RPA professionals to help accelerate the time to production, to have an understanding of where your project is and how it's doing. But also, and this used to be a pain point for everybody, how to size your processes to understand how much work was required to do said automation so that you could build out your budget in the context of the work that I will do, and then the work I'll lean on partners to perform for me. But Reveal Group, Blue Prism Partner, we have the second highest designation in the history of your partnership, only to EY, and we've been in the Americas doing RPA work since 2015. And Reveal Group, again, we won a ton of awards on digital exchange, et cetera. Like I said, we're cousins with an Australian accent. I'm really thrilled to be here. I own the <clears throat> automation practices for Blue Prism and a customer experience as a part of my charter. I also handle culture here at Reveal Group, delivering on the promise of equal opportunity for men, women, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, race, culture, creative, and what have you. So I help the company with my third hat in a recruiting, mentoring, retaining, and matriculating multicultural talent within the organization. I would love to pick up that with you on a different podcast, such an important topic. But today, what we're going to drill into is strategic thinking around automation. And I would like to hear from you in the last four to five years, as you mentioned that we've been uh, on this journey, what's been the biggest changes that you've seen? So, I mean, you know, skeptics are, they, they live, they live forever. They're immortal. <laughs> but I will tell you this, my favorite part of this year's engagements has been the customers are smarter about due diligence. Right. You can't just poo-poo automation anymore. You have to prove the business case as to why you're scaling manual processes as opposed to scaling digital capabilities. It's very refreshing. I'll tell you, when the pandemic happened, I always look at my pipeline, right? The revenue stream is always what I like to look at. Performance right now, we're creeping back to pre-pandemic revenue streams. 
And I don't know if everybody's aware of that fact, but specifically with our partnership, the velocity is kind of the back and that's wonderful to see. So what does that mean? I think companies have survived their stage of the pandemic, right? There's been the resignation. There's been the work from home. There's been the transformation. And so what brands are coming to us now, Zita, and this is, refer I know people are going to say, this is how it's always been. I know that's not true. Because <laughs> when they first came to us, that's not how they spoke. So back when I got into industry 2018, they were not speaking like this. Now, when they speak to us, they come to us with a precursory understanding of the number of bots they need generally, right? They don't understand all the bots capabilities and they come to us with a handful of ideas, but they don't know how to stack rank them for value. Because when we looked at HFS, our mutual friend, filling company, yes, yep. old report, but over half of the COEs and their businesses who are engaging in our transformation journeys don't actually understand how to build the business case to justify not only initial engagement, but to scale to a healthy headcount for the FTE total within the organization. So. For me, for the verticals that I touch upon, for the new vertical, blockchain is here. Investigative reporting services, those are here now. Children's playground manufacturers, they are looking at transformation. So when I look at it, you know, again, I'm a little more, you know, I am Zeta. I can't help myself sometimes. But when I look at it, Carrie gave me this great parable about uh, transformation. It takes 45 to 60 minutes to build an object. It's a universal truth. Like she's a much better developer than I am. She's trained me in multiple platforms. So at the end of the work week, at the end of the month, part of the litmus test to efficacy is how many objects you've built within your organization in a specific project that you're working on. I won't pick that fight here. I'll pick it on LinkedIn. But the nice part about it is that we've decoded most of the mythology. And the best part about these educated and informed and mature customers is some of them are coming back to us for the second time, which is awesome. We just did Cornerstone together. You'll see them on stage. The best part about it is that when they're starting now, they are starting assuming that it is going to work as opposed to hoping that it's not going to fail. And that's a major pivot for folks that are in market. The ones that you bring to us now, they're educated folks. But for me, they're not doing platform bake-offs as much as they used to. They're coming in with the perspective of, if I have unattended use cases, Blue Prism is the market leader in production period. And that's really refreshing to see where before I had to do these bake-offs, I know they're trying to make a buck, but let's look to the right part portion of the quadrant. Let's, whatever you want to use. Let's look at the top candidates and let's compare them apples to apples. And when we do that for unattended use cases, guess who wins more often than not? You guys already know the answer there. So for me, I like that part of the job now. There's fewer bad actors and the people that have the vision, who have the long haul mindset, who think that it's better to reduce the cost of doing business and reducing the number of manual processes that you have in place, as opposed to increasing the number of manual processes that you have in place, they're going to win and they're winning now. So I think it's a really exciting time to be uh, part of the uh, industry. Yeah, I agree. It is an exciting pivot time, and I've seen that shift as well. Where are you seeing the initial need coming from within the organization? You know, I think historically, we can all say it's finance. Even if it wasn't the financial industry, it was the finance teams within any corporation. Is that still the primary driver of, of transformation, automation, use of digital capabilities? Or are you seeing that shift outside of the finance team and it being driven from somewhere else? You know, it's always interesting when we first started, right? You know, my background, right? FNA transformation, those were table stakes for me. We won awards together using the Black Line solution. We won awards together with Abby doing end-to-end -end automation and procure the pay. So I'd be foolish if I said that that's not some of it. I'll be usually on the calls for that. But my background is FMGRC. And the pivot from FM where I started we're now starting to look at the arm of GRC. So not just financial management anymore. The risk department is a major player, especially in the blockchain industry around the financial uh, viability of an organization over time. So I think that 
depending on how your organization is built, right? Business intelligence sometimes falls under the CFO, risk sometimes falls under the CFO. I think that FMGRC, they need to be peers, right? Because you can't, you should not subject the function, right, to personal preference and or bias. I'm not saying that they are, but when they're peers, we look at risk differently, right? For example, if it's a financial or revenue-driven business, everything has to be vetted through the lenses of, of a sale or revenue. When risk is, is separate from finance, it's no longer just margin. It's no longer just net. It's now assume that we're financially viable and we're healthy. We have a good business model. We understand our ideal customer profiles. How do we mitigate the things that will potentially impact our ability to generate revenue to our customer base? When you go by 900%, that is risky. And if you're not being thoughtful about how you move that, other than expense reports, payroll, timesheets, and what have you, if you're not looking at that level of scale, from our lens of risk, you're not looking at it correctly. Like you're being, it's, it's behave yourself. So I think that honestly, transformation now is at a place where you can start anywhere. I'm doing more revenue automations. I'm doing more research and report and analytics use cases. <laughs> but I'll tell you when I just include, I, I, I build this chart, I shared it with you, actually kind of use it together. There's four buckets where we can transform a bank. And one of those buckets is the financial component. The other bucket is customer service, right? The other bucket is middle office. And there's a tertiary budget bucket that we look at, which is operations, the effect that we can onboard a new client and we can service that client and we can charge and collect from that client, leveraging automation. Finance, great place to start. People are starting in other places now, which is really exciting. But if I start over here and I'm touching revenue, I have to swoop up the finance department into the equation as well. I can't avoid them and expect that we're going to be successful. Agree. As you see the expansion, if you will, or the input from across the business increasing, do you see the need for different types of digital capabilities increasing? You mentioned blockchain earlier. That's something that's super interesting. I'm still not sure I completely have my mind wrapped around it. So what do you see as far as the digital landscape or capabilities and how it's expanding as you potentially move outside of classic finance and into customer service and support? You know, it's a great question, comment, statement, what have you. I think what's really interesting to see is that the evolving businesses, they had to benchmark someone. So a lot of the people who are working in blockchain, they have a financial background. So BFSI still is at the core of their pedigree historically. So guess who they're bringing with them? Their top consultancy partners who service those practices as well. So even though the technology is super funky and I'm not going to try to explain it on this call, like, I think I got it down, but like I could destroy the entire interview. I'd get this part wrong. I'll tell you this. The traditional people that worked at banks and financial services companies, what have you, they're the core folks at these companies that are growing actively. I'll give you a simple use case. I like cryptocurrency. I like digital contracts, blah, 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 right? I have to submit taxes now. My, my father-in-law is my tax person because I'm terrible at it. And he's like, I need to see your funny money stuff too. I was like, oh, it's so weird. Here you go. Let me send it over. <laughs> if you cannot submit your paperwork for tax purposes, guess what happens to you? The same thing that happens to the rest of us. We get audited. So the blockchain folks have to take a risk perspective. I know the big banks want, don't want to admit this, but these companies are being served not only by retail companies or retail clients, they're not only serving retail clients, they're also serving industrial or commercial clients. And some of those commercial clients are all of our banks, right? I know it's such an icky place to kind of have the conversation, but it's impacting a larger ecosystem than we're willing to admit. With Meta and Facebook and the world being digital, imagine purchasing digital real estate for a fraction of the cost. And so if somebody wants to do a virtual house party, a virtual tour of that place, like people can buy things that they can't afford to buy in real life in the metaverse if they have pockets of liquidity from cryptocurrency. Separate conversation, 
I think it's really exciting to see these emerging markets. I also like the fact that when we work with these advanced technology bleeding edge folks, guess what we start with? Blue Prism Process Intelligence, because it still starts your process. And if we don't find that backlog of low hanging fruit with high value, it doesn't matter how fancy their tech is, it won't even get off the ground. So you still need 2.57x return on investment. Interestingly enough, in finance, we're seeing 300% ROI. Feel free to check the website. But I think we have to use high value use cases. And I think we did a webinar together did a two years. It was y'all, me, and, and Saronis. And we said scale starts with discovery. And that hasn't changed. And you guys have upgraded your tools to acquisition. I know the Timeline PI guys, I've known them, I think, too long. But I saw my first demo of them in a, in a search use case when I was at Wonderbots. And it's true, right? The market says that there's an increase and the companies that start and scale, they start to discover it's extremely important to the success of any enterprise that's serious about transforming their business. All right. I love those use cases that you gave us there, some around some emerging and fun technologies. And when it comes to automation, starting with discovery and process intelligence, can you expand on that a little bit? Where do, where do companies go from there? Yeah, ab absolutely. So, you know, without citing all the data points. All the market intel is telling us that this is a, a key step for customers and, and how they land and then eventually expand their digital capabilities across the broader organization. And so we say, you know, where do we go from there after we have eight to 10? I mean, personally, we're good. We want to do 50 to 130, right? That's our sweet spot. So enterprise uh, value scans across multiple lines of business, either following the data model or the use case from end to end, the best practice would indicate. So for us, I was up to pivot to change management around this one because when you first talk to a customer versus when they come back to you for the second time, or we're starting from scratch again, somewhere new, I always like it when they sound like us, because that means that it's working. Right. And my favorite little emails, aside from the ones that I get that are pretty funny for my customers, so I still get memes and things like this. I love the ones that I get offline and say, Hey, you know what? That one helps. Or this one made it easier for me to do X, Y, or Z, or, Hey, I used that image when we were building the business case to present to CFO or whoever the person was. And so aside from the, I don't want to call it rudimentary, but the standard blocking and tackling, what is a robot, what can it do and what have you, but now it's starting to talk about change management, right? So when companies work together, discovery process and implementations allow us to de-risk our perception of one. So companies who are really good at due diligence, they'll come in and they'll ask us thoughtful and meaningful questions. So, well, tell me about this account. How did it start in year one? Show me year two. I love those folks, right? Cause now you're like, okay, you're just visiting my gym. You've been working out. You're like, Hey, I want to use free weights today. As opposed to being like, what is that? I'm sorry. Am I going to get too big? And again, not to, but people are in different stages of their lives. So for the mature customer coming back, the most important part for them is they have to be willing to fight the fight around change management. Sorry for interrupting, but I wanted to ask, what is mature? Yeah, great. So one of our energy, energy level folks kind of came in and he asked me, I'm all like, I'm afraid to be put on the spot. I'm like, dude, I won't put you on the spot. Here's what you know. I'm like, you have no platform and interact and surface automation. Like you handle that. My job from an operating standpoint is to say, is the customer's maturity, right? Different than its capability. So if we've worked together before, you understand what a robot is. You've seen it put into production. You've seen it do end to end automation and let's say procure the pay, order the cash human capital management, but whatever the area it is, you're going to speak to me different. So your understanding of transformation overall is more mature than it was when I first met you. All right. So maturity, but if we look at that versus y'all's maturity framework, that net new company, even though the person's working with me before, they're still at the initialized stage. 
Like you can't skip steps because the evangelist still has to deal with the curmudgeons. What's a bot? Is it iRobot? Right? Terminator was terrible. Like, okay, fine. Like, we got to do all that stuff. But when the customer is mature, it's easier for them to inform the organization about the pitfalls. So when the customer is mature, but the capability is immature, we're at the initialized stage. We've already done this before. When everybody's at the getting started, user RBA stage, I have to do a lot more work. I have to be Wikipedia sometimes. I have to enable them. And I've started more so in today than I used to in the past. I started to reuse content that's successful as opposed to using all content. So if somebody says, perfect example, you, you guys versus your competition. I have to do enablement around why the recorder does not equate to scale without calling anybody out by name. Okay. So a customer will say, I saw all the marketing it looks really cool, great stories and what have you. I can just record my way to $10 million in savings. So one of the assets that I use, it talks about, uh, Gardner has this amazing piece on RPA best practices for scale. I mean, it's, it's everything servers, you know, change management questions and answers stages of adult, like in the entire thing. Is that the critical capabilities report? Right. Yep. Exactly. Right. Okay. And so what we're talking about is understand, like, for example, if we do a task pilot proof of concept, entry-level touch point, that's not necessarily reflective of the effort required to put a proper process into production. So sometimes customers, when they're getting started early, they'll see a recording of a process, they'll see the capabilities of a platform and they'll say, Hey, that looks pretty easy. Right. That's not the same thing as me automating payroll and time cards for 25,000 employees. And I wanted to look at it to be this chasm of uh, an understanding because the initial engagement, there's a high level of confidence. HFS made this arc during its 2018 report. And it's like, I understand the technology. This seems pretty exciting. We're going to save 22% of operating costs. We're going to improve customer experience, but what, but then the work starts. And when I'm ranting online, Zena, I always say this because Carrie Schmidt gave it to me. He's like, all objects take 40 minutes to 60 minutes to be built and everything else is an excuse. I'm like, wow, that's intense, but <laughs> you're either doing the work and you understand what you're doing and the outcomes are successful or they're not right. And this is why I love our robo suite, because if we can score the automation, right, once we have an example, we can improve. It's hard to improve on the thing that you're not doing. So for our customers who are mature cornerstone, who just came back to us from a previous client, when they came back to us, they were like, Hey, love the prism. We've already done this before. You guys helped me do some automation around the lending process. What else can we do? Interact was just a, a natural evolution based upon their understanding of the product. So when we look at it, and I was talking to one of the other reps on Alex's team, and I said, we have to treat every single client like they're going to be the next million dollar client. And here's why. When we meet them today, they might get shut down for budget or they don't have the credit or the chops, or maybe the company doesn't even want to invest. But when they move to their next company, guess what they're going to want to try to do to put a feather in their cap. I can't name the other client, but like, I like to hear the vision statement. I'm like, I want to hear that you want to get promoted twice. I want to hear that you're like, hey, I want to write a book. I want to retire. Whatever your thing is, it has to be greater than connecting with S4 HANA after my grade. I get that matters. But if the person who owns it has a vision of a greater net new normal, I'm excited to work with them because then I can say, Hey, guess what? Here's 10 folks. Let me show you their business cards on LinkedIn, right? Let me show you, you know, Viacom. Let me show you Equinix. Let me show you what have you. And I said, when I met him, it was here, right? And sometimes I even show the message and he's like, Hey, well, uh, how much work can a robot do? 18 months later, they're standing on stage talking about best practices. And so we have to treat that initial engagement with the customer as if it's the most valuable client that we have. Same thing's true for transformation. You have to take the calls. 
You have to do the interviews. You have to answer all of the questions and you have to not put your ego in front of the response because that's why there's friction and change. Like Jeff doesn't like to work with Susan. Why not? And so when Jeff comes back now to work with Susan again, and he's like, Hey, I want to automate processes. I want to do demand generation, which is the hardest thing for people to do. If there's friction already there, it's going to be hard for that person to be seen as a trusted advisor to educate them about how we're going to transform that person's specific part of the business. Right. Which really speaks to the importance of change management in these projects. How does it also change the way that businesses grow? As a business thinks about forward growth, mm -hmm. when they do have these digital capabilities, when they are mature, how should they think about that growth differently? It's a great question, right? I don't want to repeat old content, but here's where I think without top-down transformation initiatives, none of the fun stuff happens. So top-down transformation initiatives are like, I want to look at this part of the business. I want this team to get it done. And guess what? I can't name the client, but guess who shows up? Operations shows up, right? Shared services shows up. The team starts to form ahead of time. The, the, the mature due diligence, it's just different. So immature due diligence, can you automate in Salesforce? And I'm not even saying that to be snarky, right? It's platform-based. This platform is a headache, right? Mature due diligence is, hey, do these three systems, we need interoperability between Salesforce, DocuSign, and, and maybe some other platform, okay? That's a fact. The people who own the business processes that use those platforms, they're at this call during this time, right? That's where I usually see the humble users and they're like, hey, guess what? I'm not going to be, a, I'm not going to be a super user, but I have missed critical systems that fall under my purview. What kind of risks should I expect from entering into a transformation exercise? I also love when they say, we're not the experts, Well, that's an invitation for you to prove to them that you could be trusted. So for me, it's own what you don't know, because that's a lot, right? Own, I think as a professional over time, be very specific about who you are and what you're very good at, right? So like, I am terrible at doing enterprise level installations, right? I have an IT degree. I can do individual provisioning, but I can't do design and build for enterprise architecture or infrastructure across 10,000 employees. Could I do that? Sure. Today? No, that's not who I'm all is. My job is to say, if you're a massive account, here's the four areas of the business where we can look at where four automation candidates gave 400% ROI. If it's a small customer, I can say, Hey, typically when we start with companies that look like you on a larger scale, even though automation went like this, we had to get this part right before we did anything else. And they'll say, yeah, we like to start small test vendors. What you don't want to do though, this is the kiss of death for y'all and for us is we don't want to have to sit here and pretend that the company is not viable. It's publicly, it's been around long enough. There's thousands of customers. There's all this awards and hardware. We want to avoid the customer who says, prove to me that y'all are viable. I'm like, Google exists. So we want to make sure that we're dealing with good actors. We want to make sure that we're dealing with uh, top down, right? Not bottom up because bottom up is hard. And then the third component, when you feel a customer doesn't understand what the end looks like, give them like kernels of short-term milestones that are a part of the operating model. So I don't know which process to start with. I'm like, which part of the business do you think needs it the most? We'll scan there. All right, great. There's, I'm all, there's 50 things that we could do. Here's the first one. And that's how I want to look at it. Right. And that brings us into that maturity model and, and how businesses get there. And different parts of a business can be at different stages of the maturity curve, if you will, all at the same time. 
I like to say transformation is a verb, not a noun. It's not one day we are the butterfly and we're done transforming. I'm pretty sure when we get there, we'll still seek to transform ourselves as individuals and as companies. So when you begin to step into a business, you want to begin to modernize certain capabilities and, and move into digi digital capability modernization, then you go on to optimize and then you go on to transform. And so can you tell us a little bit about what that looks like in reality? Maybe a share a story with us. So I, I would say I'm excited about this stage of business for our industry, primarily because the customers are asking more informed questions and we as professionals, we have to be more buttoned up when we go. So like some people want the clay. I'm like, yeah, we have to clay too, but. I like the ones who want to ask us, like, and interrogate us and, and, and verify. I like people who are invested. Like, it's not fun talking smack to somebody who doesn't like to talk smack. Like, I want to have somebody who's across the table from you and invested. So when I look at it, do you have retail operations? Do you have industrial operations? Right? Are there common processes between those two lines of business? Which ones have the highest churn as far as your employee headcount is concerned? That friction is from manual processes, right? That friction is because you don't know when work ends and automation for me, it's still my favorite source. My first candidate, University of Vermont Medical Center, they got half of their days back by leveraging digital workers. And those days were no longer the worst days of the week. High, not that they did this, but calling out sick, et cetera, et cetera. The human elements that are reacting to the friction of manual processes and the fatigue over time, we stare at it and we look at it, right? There's companies right now. You know, what, 41% of their headcount left? Guess which function they probably left from, right? That's where we need to point the, the, the crosshairs and say, let's look at this part of your business. Can it scale if it doesn't change? Not meaning the robots, but can your business scale if it doesn't change? And so if we're not asking those questions, we're not really asking the questions that are at the core of the business. So are we attracting talent who thinks that what we do is pretty cool? How do we verify that? Are we losing talent because of our, our non-digital bottlenecks and our, our manual processes? And then the next part is, are we going to be able to compete with our, our, or win our marketplace if we don't change at all? And that's where I see, I spent a lot of time in banking now, Zeno, right? The banks are like finally catching up, but like I'm the old school bank. So I had my first bank for when I got out of, out of high school, I'm still there, right? They have disparate systems and they're going through acquisitions. So it wasn't that long ago where you're like. If I wasn't in Springfield, if I was outside of my state, there's just certain information I couldn't have access to because the systems were not, they, there was no interoperability between uh, the companies. And so when we look at BFSI, specifically vertical accounts, let's take the I and separate it now because insurance is a different beast, right? It's expensive, but financial services and banking, the bell cows all have KYC and, and, and mobile and all that stuff under wraps, right? The smaller mid-sized ones are like, hey, tell me what so-and-so is doing. And I'm like, I can tell you, but like your budget, like it's not, you're not built that way. And so if you look at your customer experience, where are you not currently meeting your customer demands? Oh, okay. We don't have 24 by seven availability. They still have to call in for password resets. They can't provision an account without talking to a human being. Let's argue offline about upsell, cross-sell and banking. But if you're not currently meeting your customer's expectations, and there's easy ways for you to do that. There's a bunch of people who can provide you with those services. Look at where your customers are the least satisfied. So like we were doing exercise together today, Zena, where it was like, hey, there's 170,000 calls that get handled. And I said, I asked one of your, your colleagues, I go, what happens if we route all 170,000 of those calls in the chat bot? What happens? 
right? So we haven't actually solved the problem. We did create deflection, but we didn't solve the problem. We created a greater digital problem. Okay. So that's what we need to be careful. What I love about that example though, is that the customer's experience or the customer journey is what is being put at the front as you are thinking of an outcome that's desirable. And I see that more and more, whether it be the customer experience or the employee experience, which as you described, automation can greatly improve that employee experience in a lot of cases. Any last thoughts that you'd like to, to share with our listeners be, before we uh, wrap up this podcast? Yeah, it's somebody has to do the work and it's hard until you're good at it. So when you're looking at asking your organization to rally around change, you're going to have to demystify a lot of the popular misconceptions. You're going to have a long haul mindset about what transformation actually is going to look like and feel like. So not just your initial setup, right? Where you're using a partner pretty heavily before you grow your own capability, but you're now talking about next year, how many employees are going to have RPA as a part of the title. That's more common now. I love that. That's a great pivot to now when you're saying, okay, we got the first six months, right? Hey, I need to get some developers on the staff. Hey, what have you? I'm like, Hey, these two people from your team right now, they can do the BA functions. Oh, okay, great. And you got tools, right? And then I think the, the last part, I think this is the most important part that people will argue with when I say this, you can't get disenfranchised employees to transform your business because they're disenfranchised and not even sitting in your business. And so dear executives who are hearing me, who are connected to me on LinkedIn, if your folks are miserable, okay. <laughs> If they're not genuinely, let's argue online, but if they're not genuinely concerned about the health of your business, you do have a larger problem, but don't let the disenfranchised people be the head of RPA and within your seat, it's not going to rejuvenate. It's not how it works. And so I think when you choose your leader, that leader has to have a vision. That leader has to have a vision that's longer than two years in, in, its, in its, its length. And then don't have people in the program that are interviewing and looking for jobs. I don't even know how you're going to assess that, but here's the vibes. You send somebody an email at four o'clock on Friday and say, hey, can we meet in half an hour? If that person's not available, that might not be the right person to lead your transformation program. I'm not judging the people because we're in the middle of pandemic, but I'm just saying, don't force people to do transformation who are not fundamentally invested in the business because guess what's going to happen? Well, I think that brings us full circle back to our conversation maybe 15 minutes ago around change management. <laughs> <laughs> which is so critically important to technology projects and has been for as long as I've been doing technology, which is way back into the last century, dare I say. So thanks them all so much for uh, being with us today and sharing your insights. Yeah, always great to see you. I love these things, obviously, but I do enjoy it. It is great to see you and I'm looking forward to summer and the spring. Can't wait for the snow to end. Yes, we don't have any snow, but I can't wait for the summer. Thank you listeners for joining us today on Transform Now. Until next time, have a wonderful day. Thanks for tuning in to Transform Now. For more insightful discussions on digital transformation and more, check out our podcast channel where you'll find all of our previous episodes. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. And if you like what you heard, please leave us a review. For more information about digital transformation and the future of work, Check out blueprism.com to learn how Blue Prism's digital workforce is enabling enterprise transformation now.